For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. The Mises Caucus takeover was a result of a large number of libertarians who were sick of the status quo, especially uh, in light of what I felt like and said as often as I could was a lack of, of urgency or at least a seeming lack of urgency among the uh, the Libertarian Party na at the national level and, and at many state levels and the Jorgensen campaign to understand that the threat posed by the COVID regime swamped and dwarfed everything else and that we needed to come out as exposing that more than the Republicans ever could, who were every bit as into it as the Democrats, and that we needed to be the anti-lockdown. We're already against the next mandate. We're already against the next lockdown. We That needed to be our main focus. And then when the uh, the George Floyd killing and the uh, the push for ending qualified immunity, and then the riots, and the in, the refusal of, of many police departments to do anything to stop it, and, and instead attacking people who were defending themselves against rioters and looters, what an opportunity for a party to come out and say, you're fighting against police brutality, you're fighting against police inaction, you have the same enemy. Mm-hmm. And the Democrats will pick this side and the Republicans will pick this side and they're playing you against each other. We have to stop government monopolization of law enforcement and protection and we need to hold bad actors accountable in government. What a perfect opportunity to bring together that. But, you know, we uh, uh, very often that the, the momentum or the urgency, the sense of urgency wasn't there. And I felt it as someone that was at the, the you know, not the top of the ticket, but in the in the White House ticket. Right. Um, what is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? Oh, ah, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. It's been about a year since he was on last. And I'm very, very excited to have him back on again. I got the man, the myth, the legend himself, Tasha's husband. How you doing, man? <laughs> it's good to be back, Kyle. Thanks for having me on, man. Of course. So um, I brought you on today in part because it seems like there's this giant stir up in the Libertarian Party, and I'm trying to get all these different opinions. Um, in your mind, what was your thoughts when you saw that Mark Victor was withdrawing from the race to endorse a Republican candidate? Yeah, so I will admit I didn't follow the race all that closely. I know there is some disagreement as to whether – uh, the the Republican in question that that Mark endorsed Blake Masters, if he's like a one of us, like a secret libertarian, or if he's just pandering to us, but he's not a libertarian. The, the two main things I heard are that 
A, he's, you know, part of the Mises Institute, big Ron Paul fan, mm-hmm. uh, 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 was involved with Thiel Capital and, and like all yeah. that stuff. But then on the other side, I heard that he's like more of a national conservative and even went to a convention and said libertarianism doesn't work. I, I, I will admit I'm too busy with the stuff I'm doing to follow all mm-hmm. of the palace intrigue on a day to day basis. But putting that part aside, generally speaking, I understand the strategy of um, of running a campaign with the idea of getting enough attention that you can get your message out and get one, two, or both of the major party candidates to give you a seat at the table, talk with you about the issues that matter to you, and then you make an endorsement based on that. I understand that strategy. My concern about it in the long term is that it becomes this kind of if I'm a libertarian and my goal is to get libertarians elected and I hear about candidates that are running for these statewide and federal offices, if my goal is to get them elected, if I go in thinking that's the goal and this person's doing everything it looks like to, to, you know, to run to win and then they back out and do this, I become a lot more trigger shy in the future to, uh, you know, to, to support that kind of candidacy. Mm-hmm. At the same token, if I go into it with the understanding that I want to, you know, just use this to spread liberty, however it happens, whether it's by the candidate, um, you know, actually running to win or by them being a spoiler or by them, you know, uh, ending up endorsing someone else after winning some kind of concessions or, or whatever else, it might not upset me to find that out. But now if the candidate's running that way, well, what's inspiring the voters to support you if they know that that's your ultimate goal? Right. So it's really a, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't type of situation there. I tend to err on the side of saying, if you're running for office, you should run to win. If you do drop out and endorse someone, there need to be some major concessions made, not just a nice conversation, but mm-hmm. like putting you on a board of, of theirs or, you know, cha- making changes to their platform you disagree with or something like of serious concessions with the idea that the messaging and the activism needed to actually spread the message of liberty and grow a culture of liberty probably needs to largely happen outside of electoral politics and outside of political parties. With that said, I, you know, I, I my understanding of Mark um, uh, is that he has done some incredible work as a criminal defense attorney uh, and, uh, and, you know, ran a pretty inspiring campaign, getting double digits in the polls, getting into the, into the debates and everything else. Uh, I wish I had followed it. I had the time to follow these types of things more closely yeah. to give more specific input, but that's my general feeling about that kind of strategy anyway. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I think we're largely in agreement. Um, my problem with the whole thing, and I don't want to dwell on this too long because like you said, you haven't paid too much attention to it, is that um, when he dropped out to endorse him, it didn't seem like we got any concessions our way because the main beefs that everybody had with him was his foreign policy and that he did seem kind of like a rubber stamp for Trump. And right. I hate this intellectual dishonesty that happens with Republicans and Democrats, but especially Republicans right now because they're not in power. They say the inflation over the last 21 or 21, 22 months it's like okay well <laughs> it's been terrible yes yeah, right. just well, that well, very moment something yeah. happened in january of 2021 and now we really care about inflation it's terrible yeah yeah but that's yeah. my problem and then he also was saying you know china's our top geopolitical rival and as usual mm. with all the other maga chuds china's the enemy um and yep. then he said he w- we would defend our allies israel and it just didn't seem like yeah right right <laughs> and he's supposed to be anti-war 
Um, I tweeted out once. I, I don't think the right will ever be anti-war so long as they're beholden to China or beholden to Israel, and then believe that China is the greatest threat. I, I don't see how you can that's parse not, these things that's out. That's not anti-war. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it just didn't seem like we got those concessions. So I hope this isn't like a recurring pattern of we're just going to pat ourselves on the back for getting an interview with somebody who already kind of has a seat at the table for just endorsing them. Right. Because then at that point, we're just kind of like a, a it's literally just a club for people to get popular through the Libertarian Party, if that's what we're going to do. And if that's what happened, if that's indeed the way that it played out, then yeah, I would agree with that. I can give you an example of one that I'm a little bit more familiar with that where that didn't happen. Okay. And uh, that's Shane Hazel when he ran for Senate in 2020. Okay. Um, he, uh, so the way that it works in Georgia, if a candidate doesn't get over 50%, the top two go on to runoff. Right. Shane got enough votes that it had to go to runoff. And it was, he was in the um, Ossoff versus whoever it was that was running against Ossoff race. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to remember Purdue. who that was now. Purdue. Purdue. Yeah. yeah. And so he agreed. He, I think, initially had Purdue scheduled to come on the show, but then he backed out uh, mm -hmm. onto Shane's show, Radical. And then, uh, and then uh, Rand Paul came on to Shane's show. And, you know, Rand Paul, pretty decent libertarian on a lot of things. It was but pretty Shane was not happy. Sean, Shane, on some things, Shane was not happy to about uh, Rand's responses about stuff related to Purdue, and he really wasn't happy about the fact that Purdue wouldn't even give him the hour to explain why he should get his 3% or 5% or whatever it was of the vote that he desperately needed to be able to win. And so Shane did not endorse anyone in that race. And I would imagine that as close as that race was, Shane's endorsement was probably the difference between Purdue winning and Ossoff winning. And the, the as, as mad at, as many Republicans may want to get at us, if this many people are willing to vote for a candidate they know isn't going to win and they still won't vote for you, even if they know that that's the difference between you winning or not, that's a you problem. That is not an us problem. And you know what? Suck less. I don't know what to tell you. Like, you try harder and try harder to get our vote. If you need our vote, then work to get our vote. So if that's what happened, if it was just an exchange for an interview where they said some niceties, then yeah, I don't think that's enough of a concession. And and I I, I say that again, not as aware of, of, Blake's, uh, of Blake's record. I yeah. hope that uh, if he does win, that uh, we'll all be pleasantly surprised that he's, you know, much more liberty leaning than maybe he had to be in the election or something like that. I don't know. But I will tell you, uh, with things like Israel is our greatest ally and, you know, China is our, you know, is a, a major geopolitical threat. And, uh, you know, I don't know what he said about Ukraine, but I mean, that that's not the talk of someone who then turns around and acts very, usually it's the other way around. They act kind of dovish and then become much more hawkish. If they start hawkish, they usually end up becoming John Bolton. So I, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong. And like I said, I don't know all, I, I don't know enough about it to speak all that in, you know, uh, specifically to that. But generally speaking, yeah, we need concessions. If you want our 3%, 5%, in Mark's case, possibly 10% of the vote, 5% right. of the vote. Yeah, no, you got to work for that. You got to work for that. Yeah, well, he actually did call for sanctioning Russia as soon as the whole thing broke out. So, and there was no concessions on this. So that was, uh, it seems like everybody kind of agreed there should have been those concessions made before we withdrew from the race. But, you know, it's yeah. just the whole point is, once again, if we're going to get behind you, then it's because you're good enough on the issues that matter the most to us that we think exactly. you'll, you'll do, but not mm -hmm. just, you know, take our hat out of the ring to give it to somebody who we thought, okay, well, we're probably not going to just to get an interview with him. I, that, that shit just drives me nuts.
And the thing is, like, when it comes to Repo and again, this is just generally speaking, yeah. it used to be that we could say, well, at least they'll be better on spending and probably on guns. <laughs> and, you know, thank you. This Houston. is the reaction. Yeah. Post-Trump, none of that exists anymore. Right. Literally, the only thing that they do is it's about Trump and it's about this new NatCon idea of we're going to make government bigger and use it to spread family values because that certainly hasn't been tried before and it was always a success anytime it was right like it's it, it's it's foolishness it's the next version of I need the ring of power for myself surely this won't fail for me like it always has um so it's at this point it's not even a lesser evil thing every once in a while there's a really good Republican compared to the Democrat but honestly there are increasing number of times where the Democrat Democrat isn't isn't much worse. This Fetterman versus Oz thing. If Fetterman's the guy that Oz claims he is, I'd probably vote for him. Like you know, some of the. I mean, while he's not, but like the oh, he wants to you know end the war on drugs. Yeah, no, that's good. No, I like that. I I, I like that. And, uh, you know, so I, I will say, and I'm not making an endorsement between Fetterman and Oz, as we clear. Oh, there. come on. You, you uh, know what? I, I heard you on Reed's show, Fetterman and uh, Walker. Okay, fine. You got me. Okay. <laughs> for pure entertainment reasons, yes. I may or may not be supporting a Herschel Walker, John Fetterman 2024 White House race. <laughs> they can choose, again, hypothetically, they can choose which one is president, vice president. They can even just do it where they don't, where no one knows. They don't know. They're not even 100 percent sure what they're they, you know they're not that's gonna fine. know yeah they don't they don't know and I, honestly that makes it better it's better if yes. we don't know and uh so i may or may not be kind of leaning towards that being the unity ticket that they tried to get back in 2020 with uh yeah. gabbard and crenshaw but that's boring i did fetterman yeah. herschel walker is where it's at <laughs> yeah well you know what i said uh fetterman and walker and then appoint don baldick as secretary of defense just bring the fucking nukes already dude <laughs> let's just, let's end it all i mean that's 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 like clown world accelerationism. Like, let's just all get the honkers out and honk honk and as the as the mushroom clouds approach. But yeah, yeah. So putting aside my kind of fantasy, my fantasy pick of of Walker Fetterman, I, I would say that in general, like, we need to be getting like serious. If if we're pulling enough of the vote that it matters if we stay in the race or not, and we're having a serious discussion. And I've actually talked with some candidates in, in this cycle and other ones who considered that, and I said the same thing to each of them. If you can secure serious policy changes that make it worth the fact that if you ever run again, people are likely not to back you because they don't think you're going to actually stay in the race, mm -hmm. then do it. If you get some serious policy considerations that are worth you never really being able to, to potentially, especially at a higher level, run yeah. for office again, and you feel like it's worth it, then then Godspeed. But it needs to be serious. It can't just be, oh, yeah, I like liberty, too. It has to be like serious, demonstrative, feasible, uh, palpable changes. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, so what was your thoughts when you saw, I think it was Michael White, Chase Oliver, and Shane Hazel? Because I watched Shane's debate um, from start to finish with a grin on my face the entire time. I could not believe how ready he came to the debate. And a lot of people knocked him for the whole China stuff. But um, it's it's such a propagandistic thing. And I want to talk with you a little bit later about this. But uh, what were your thoughts about their performances in the debates? So the, I'll start with the Michael White one because that's the one I saw the least of. I just saw this clip of him 
freaking <laughs> in, inject this into my veins level of just they asked him about yeah. they asked him about what, what was it climate change and energy and in like a 40 second response a minute long response he's like you know the people that you know can't fix the speed bumps are telling you that if you give them more money they'll make the weather better uh and uh <laughs> and you know if we're going to be serious about climate change and pollution and energy concerns and the national security concerns related to energy we need to be talking about nuclear particularly thorium reactorium reactors and you know deregulating nuclear so that we can finally start building uh, uh nuclear power plants again after a what 50 year uh, effective de facto moratorium that's been placed on them and uh i was like wow that's the best 40 seconds of well, I, it's up there. It's the best non-sexual 40 seconds of my life, I think. It's just like really uh, uh, just uh, up there, up there. You know, anything that isn't like, you know, my marriage or, yeah, I, it's pretty much up there in outside of my family. Some of the best moments of my life just watching that. Uh, Shane Hazel and Chase's performances were you know, apples and oranges, but yet both very uh very poignant and satisfying mm -hmm. with uh with chase he's got a guy who does not want to acknowledge he exists but yet kind of has to because he's there and right. so you know chase is just drilling him on stuff like are you gonna you know are you finally gonna sign the bills that you uh or you're gonna finally read the bills that you're signing here and like asking him these pointed questions and warnock won't even look at him or glance over at him and go well let's be serious it's really just me or, or herschel walker and he's not here right now and it was like if i'm a voter who's undecided watching that i think you know what? This guy didn't show up and this guy really didn't show up either. He's just here to give talk. He's not here yeah. to actually have a debate. There's someone here mm -hmm. debating him. I, at the very least, it would make me consider, I would, if, if I wasn't libertarian, it would make me consider not voting. And if I was libertarian, then I would, I would, or if I was even on the fence about that, then I would be 100% behind Chase. Mm -hmm. And then Shane is literally standing between these two people and just blowing them both out of the water it was mm. I, someone called it the woodshed debate and it really was it was like shane went in there yeah. and just blasted both of them it was a it was a absolute thing of beauty i am stoked to tell you guys about the show's new sponsor i am now working with mts nutrition which is a brand that i've believed in for a very long time and they run awesome cells and they have awesome products so um i want to tell you about their amazing protein powder which you're going to ask me how many pounds i have of the protein powder and the answer is all of them so here i got red velvet cake 25 grams of protein and they have the amino acids and everything on there 59 servings peanut butter fluff uh fluffer nutter 26 grams of protein and then also the chocolate chip cookie which literally has real pieces of chocolate chip cookie in there so 27 grams of protein 180 as i've talked about on the show getting your protein is very very important so make sure you hit that link below and purchase your protein powder through mts nutrition boom i couldn't have loved it more all three of them i couldn't have loved it more mm -hmm. and um that's the kind of stuff that happens when you have libertarians on the debate stage and mm -hmm. and whether that leads to them winning whether it leads to just much more people knowing about it or if they're in a spoiler effect and one or both of the other candidates reach out to them and they're able to secure serious concessions from them all the better and, mm -hmm. and honestly 
for the people that tell me again, you know, uh, Shane Hazel's the reason that Ossoff is in Senate, then you know what? Put someone up that that the people that voted for Shane will vote for next time, and then that won't be a problem. Stop putting up garbage people who are the Luther evil playing this endless good cop bad cop routine, and put up candidates worth voting for, or else you're going to continue to have a sizable minority of voters who say, you know what? I don't care who wins. I'm voting for this person because they at least there's someone I can trust. There's someone whose character I respect. I don't care if they win. I'm it's basically a none of the above, you know, a no, a no confidence vote. If you can't beat the no confidence spread, then that's your candidate's fault, not ours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't believe you. Um, you didn't see the uh, clip of Michael when he said, I don't, he was talking to one of them and he said, I don't know if you stand for our people or Ukraine or Russia or Taiwan, because I think you stand for Lockheed Martin or something like that. Like he, Oh, he, wow. Yeah. I didn't yeah. see that at all. That's fantastic. Again, <laughs> yeah. right into the veins, right into the vein. I don't support performance in Enhancing and drugs, unless they are the liquefied distillate of libertarian debate clips, then I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah. They um, every single clip I saw of all of them, Shane's was the only one I watched the whole way through. Um, and, and I've had like disagreements with Chase and kind of bust his balls on Twitter a little bit, but um, I'll I'll say it here officially that he did do a really good job in every single clip Fantastic I saw. Job. And holy it, it, crap, that was perfect. It, it should make the people who are kind of moving beyond libertarianism kind of look back and say it is nice to be represented and to finally have our voice and our our ideas out there which else. right if that's all else. we're really yep. looking for and then um as we've kind of alluded to throughout the show is that we do want major concessions from the parties and i don't think it's like that much to ask for so you know if we're not going to be able to get into office then this should be the kind of the default route is that hey we're going to squeeze you for everything you got if we're not going to win if nothing else, so like long before we're at a point where our candidates are reliably or even occasionally winning statewide or federal races, mm -hmm. there's going to be a point where we start becoming second place. Right. We start being we start being the one telling other people, hey, look, if you, you know, voting for that other candidate, we will, we're less likely to win. Like we can start having that, <laughs> that conversation. Yeah. Uh, and then long before that. Um, because I do actually see that as a phase that'll happen before, you know, take over the world, leave everyone alone or whatever, yes. if that even happens. I'll see where in the South, the Libertarians have become the second party instead of the Democrats. And in the North, the Libertarians have become the second party instead of the Republicans. And, mm -hmm. you know, that, that you know, we start getting some serious gains that way. And then before that is a phase where we're making a sizable enough percentage of the vote that the other two parties have to listen to us and have to make serious concessions. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I hope with the Mark Victor thing, I hope that, you know, that that our perception of it is wrong, that Blake's, a, a you know, a, a much more libertarian than from what you've said it sounds like. I, it sounds like it might have been a, a missed opportunity. But again, I, I, I don't like saying those things without seeing my stuff personally. Yeah. But based on what you've said, at least that, that doesn't sound good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Reed and I had uh, kind of talked about it a little bit. But um, I I'm optimistic and I've said all along that I hope he becomes Rand Paul's best friend in the Senate and hopefully pulls Rand Absolutely. in a little bit of a better direction. That is the <laughs> honest to God hope. Um, can I say I necessarily believe it? Not really, but, um, you know, all, all we're going to kind of have to do is sit back and see. So kind of pivoting from there, and I think this is a good transition, when it comes to the drug war, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene tweeted out, I think it was this morning or yesterday morning, that 300 people a day die from fentanyl, which is a little bit of a zealous overestimate because by all the research I've done, you can find about 150 to 164 deaths per day, which one is too many. Um, it's a lot of deaths. Right. So this still, still ties back to the drug war. Um, 
And I don't know how many more people die from opioids, which from what I understand is more produced in our country and then fentanyl is shipped over from China and then through the drug cartels. What do you see as kind of a good solution and talking to people about this? So I guess let's start with how do you talk to people about this subject to kind of convince them of where we would come from? And then what do you think would be kind of a road to a solution? So there's a Venn diagram that I could draw of people who think that the drug war is good and that if anything, it should be expanded and people who think that prohibition was bad. And it there's almost it's almost a perfect purple circle. There's very little overlap on the sides. People, uh, you know, who, who think that, uh, uh, you know, uh, people that think that prohibition was also good and that the drug mm-hmm. war is good. And then I don't think there's anyone who thinks that the drug war is bad, but prohibition was good. But man, I'm sure there's got to be someone. Yeah. Uh, but but the overall people recognize that banning alcohol was bad because it didn't stop the demand. You can't, you know, there's a a phrase that was very popular during that time and people still say it now, you can't legislate morality. Mm -hmm. And it was, and it was that, you know, it created a a black market, it empowered gangsters, it led to more violence, it made the product itself less safe because it wasn't being made by reputable organizations. It was made by thugs that were killing each other to to sell their product. It was, and it was being shipped in, you know, uh, unsafe conditions to get away from the revenue agents. And like, I mean, even if they wanted to provide a safe product, it's hard for them to do so because of the conditions under which it's being done. And it led to mistrust of the of the police and the public, you know, a rift between the police and the public. It was just bad. It corrupted governments because the, the cartels would pay off uh, the local officials to look the other way. Well, those officials aren't just corrupt about that. They're corrupt about everything. So it's, you know, right. just corruption all the way around. It's why Chicago is the way it is now um, and, and many other major cities. And uh, it was a terrible thing. That's true about uh, about uh, all drugs. And the thing is, uh, the thing is that, it, oh, and also the fact that, you know, a lot of people, you might not be able to find beer. What you might be able to find is bathtub gin that's made from ethanol and you might <laughs> die or go blind from it. But if you want to get a drink, that's all you're going to get. Similar thing with the war on drugs, right? Mm-hmm. So the conversation that has to be had or the conversation I have with the people who are the most likely to support the war on drugs is I start with the alcohol thing. And if they go, yeah, 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 but drugs are deadly, I go, alcohol kills, you know, however many tens of thousands of people a year from alcohol poisoning, however many tens of thousands of people a year from DUI, however many thousands of people from domestic violence, like it's, alcohol is incredibly deadly. Uh, and and uh, you can put it right up there with the fentanyls and the and the, and the the heroines and the whatever. I, I'm sure that heroin and fentanyl combined are probably more deadly than uh, alcohol, but it's, I mean, it's pound for pound, it's up there, it's swinging with the big leagues, and it's perfectly legal, you can buy in South Carolina you can buy it in a freaking gas station like it's it's you can buy it anywhere it's it's easy to get and it's normalized and we cook with it like it's it's we've we've normalized it and you know at the very least you can get an increasing number of people on board ending the war on plants ending the war on cannabis and even now uh um uh, the psychedelic like the psychedelic plants like and i know i'm you're gonna have people in the comments saying fungus isn't a plant it's a fungus. Mushrooms aren't a plant. You know what I mean. <laughs> they are libertarians. Okay. Yes, we're libertarians. I get it. Yes, I know. I know mushrooms are a fungus, not a plant. The war on growy stuff uh, that that makes you feel happy. That's that I'm seeing, and especially because it's been uh, veterans with PTSD and other people with uh, mental health issues that have been able to successfully get um, psychedelics, especially the the growy stuff, uh, decriminalized. 
um, some would call them plants, I certainly wouldn't, uh, that, uh, that are getting those things decriminalized um, and, and even like LSD and stuff like that. So I think you can have conversations on two fronts. Number one, some of these things have medicinal purposes, and it's just wrong to do that to, pe to, to take away people's you know, medical choices. And number two, uh, the whole thing doesn't work. Even the stuff that, you know, I, you're never going to hear me explain why anyone should smoke meth or shoot fentanyl or anything like that. Right. But you're creating conditions that lead to more of that because of the drug, because of the, the cartelization of the product. And then all the ancillary effects, the violence happening in Central and South America, the, um, you know, the, the clandestine operations being carried out by the government. Like you can build out from there, the, the violence in the streets, because instead of it being provided in stores it's being provided by you know by gangs that are fighting each other for their turf and right. it's just it makes a a problem and and drug addiction is a problem it makes a health problem into an exponentially worse drug problem uh, or or health problem criminal justice problem public safety problem government corruption problem and foreign policy problem and there's no good reason for that um so i, I kind of hit it from the this is just a bad way of doing things front we as libertarians like to do it from the government has no business telling you what you can put in your body front. Mm, and right. that's that's right. That's correct. That's true. If you tell that to the average person, they think of the drug addled person they saw twitching on the side of the street that they had to, you know, they were worried that their daughter would get too close to or something like that. Or yeah. they think of their loved one who their life has fallen apart. They can't even trust them in their house because they might steal something and they go, absolutely not. I have a right to say that people shouldn't put that in their bodies. That's just, a, it's it, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle, an ideological battle with people who are having an emotional connection to how drugs have harmed them and people right. around them. Like, mm -hmm. it's just, that's not the battle. I've, I've, I've watched former drug addicts recovering drug addicts be told that and say absolutely not the government should have stopped me from taking this it ruined my life and i'm finally getting it back that is not the battle you want to have with the vast majority of people you make the consequentialist argument we're not consequentialist but you make the argument of look at the harm it's doing it's making things worse you know on all those fronts yeah yeah i think that's a totally uh, reasonable way to kind of go about it um because i do think we're kind of seeing this on the political right now where all the drug warriors are coming out um and especially amongst the popular ones like desantis is a little bit of a drug warrior marjorie taylor green um matt gates said to bomb sinaloa that he was actually serious yeah like th these are the conversations that we're having and that china is a hostile actor because they're sending fentanyl over here to kill americans mm -hmm. yeah, it, like th these are these are the kind of things that we're dealing with now in 2022 yeah, no, it's crazy. I, I saw um, the guy that uh, I forget is, I think, De, De Pape or something, the guy that attacked Paul Pelosi, and they went, he uses weed. <laughs> like, this is your talking point? <laughs> Him smoking weed is probably why he didn't do this sooner. Assuming he hadn't done this, about, that's probably the one. He probably missed some weed. And like, yeah. I mean, it's the fact that there are still like weed warriors out there that are mm. still doing the reefer madness thing is just insane to me i remember how silly that felt in the 90s and i was like a teenager yeah. and thinking like this is so stupid now where the majority of the population 70 something percent of the population agrees with us that this thing should be at the very least uh you know decriminalized and, and possibly even just fully legalized let people do it there are still people that will fight on that hill and they will lose on that hill but it's just amazing that they'll fight on that hill and it just goes to show like the entrenched 
power of the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. Cannabis, well, it never had any business being illegal. It's certainly not at the same level as heroin and all that stuff. In an era where the vast majority of people live in a, either a city or state where cannabis is at least medicinally legal and, and mm-hmm. possibly uh, recreationally legal, and the fact that the federal government still treats it like heroin tells you just how entrenched the drug war industrial complex, the, the, the cottage industries built around the drug war, mm-hmm. how powerful they are. Uh, but it's a terrible thing. It's ruined people's lives. Yeah, it's incredibly swampy, and I don't foresee it getting any less swampy, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so how do yeah, you know, I was I, I just want all I want to the fact that it wasn't legalized by Trump, mm-hmm. which would have probably secured re-election. Mm-hmm. Probably. <laughs> I think it would have yeah. probably I, I it would have it would have made it tighter, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. And that Biden didn't then after saying he was going to and trump was saying he wanted to like literally both of them are saying yeah we're good with this that was like the one thing they stopped calling each other idiots and stopped yes we think uh cannabis should be legal and they started yelling at each other again and the fact that biden didn't make any substantial moves except this pandery bs he just did with uh simple possession which i think like no one is in jail for it's going to remove some misdemeanor records Mm -hmm. from some people which i mean it's great great that he's doing it but like it's nothing and uh, the fact that that's as far as it's gone, it just shows you how entrenched it is. So, yeah, it's it's fucked. <laughs> it is fucked. Um, so, what are your thoughts for twenty twenty two, the midterms? Because we're mm. coming right up on them. Um, do you? I feel like there's going to be a red wave. I don't think it's going to be quite as in the bag as a lot of people thought. Because I remember um, towards the end of last yeah. year and a little bit at the beginning of this year, everybody thought it was in the bag. But it seems like it's a lot more neck and neck. Um, do you think we're going to have to kind of change the message? Um, what are your kind of thoughts on the outlook going forward? Yeah, so I think, honestly, I think the midterms polling did what they typically do. You got one side that's destined to win and then they kind of go down and it looks like the other side's going to win. And then they kind of start to meet in the middle. Every once in a while, you'll have like a 2014 where the Republicans look like they were going to sweep. It never changed. It actually widened a little bit. It might've narrowed a little, but then it broadened that last week. And sure enough, they just freaking swamped. Like they broke every previous record and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that does happen. And it was a similar thing in 2006 where the Democrats just were solidly leading the whole time and ended up mm-hmm. you know, stomping them the whole thing. Um, so that does happen. But generally speaking, um, it tends to do this type of a swing. I do think, I would say, I think that the Republicans are, I mean, the Republicans are definitely retaking the House. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that... I would say pretty close to 50-50 whether they take uh whether the Republicans take the Senate. Um it's actually like a like a 30, 40, 20 thing of whether they take the Senate, whether they lose seats or whether they um or whether they kind of keep the same status quo of seats. Mm-hmm. And it, it has largely to do with the fact that the Republicans made some absolute <laughs> well and the Democrats in a couple of cases do. There's some real winners they picked. Uh, and, uh, I mean, just some real, like, really, like, you know, I, 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 so put it this way, I've had a few times and I'm not going to name names cause it doesn't really matter, but there's been a few times where like libertarian parties have picked candidates that it's like, really? Like, this is who, this is who we picked. <laughs> there's nobody and, better. And, 
And people are like, yeah, but this, he or she or whatever, uh, you know, is very strong libertarian and it's not like we're going to win. And it's like, I'm like, well, that's not really the best foot to put forward, but sure enough, these are people that have a shot of winning. Like mm -hmm. these are, this is like, this is high stakes. Like who you pick decides whether you win or not. Mm -hmm. And they pick these people. And it's just, again, Walker Fetterman, 24 is the, <laughs> it's, I, I want to watch all of America come together to figure out who they're defending Give <laughs> time. I just, yeah, no, it's it it is. So I I think it's close because of the Republican who those state parties picked. Like mm -hmm. I mean, there's no reason that Warnock should be getting reelected or that it's even close. But they right. picked Herschel Walker, who <laughs> I guess made sense if they had never heard of some of the stuff he'd struggled with in the past. Uh, but I, yeah, I I think that um, I think that it's it's going to Senate. I couldn't tell you. I think it's about fifty fifty. I would, if I had to pick, I would say probably the Republicans are going to gain a seat or two, but I, I, I have no idea. De uh, de uh, they're going to definitely take the House, though. That's that's a foregone okay. conclusion. Yeah, and I saw a uh, article today. It said like eighty percent of uh, coverage for the uh, Republican Party is negative. I'm like, okay, I believe that. But then, like, you you go one step further, and it's like, oh, they put up Herschel Walker and Doctor Oz. Like, <laughs> come on, <laughs> like you guys don't like. I don't know. There's a sect of libertarians who don't want to admit that the Republicans fuck anything up. And I, you know, you can make the argument, the lesser of two evils, okay, whatever, yes. I right, exactly. Talk to Biden. If, if that's it, yep, yep. But, like, come on. Are you really surprised they're giving them dog shit coverage when you literally have this dude who, like, there's videos of ex-girlfriends of his coming out saying that he made them get abortions. He's coming out as a pro-life candidate. Like, come on. Really? it's even when, you know, when I first started saying I'm a libertarian and I was more of a conservatarian, yeah. I still solidly believe that the Republican party was the lesser evil or whatever. Even mm -hmm. then I recognized that, yeah, sure. They're lesser evil, but they suck and they don't fight back. And I didn't realize at the time it was just part of the scam. Like they played good cop yeah. to this base, the, I want smaller government base, mm -hmm. but then they fail them every time. And then meanwhile, the Democrats are playing a good cop to this mm -hmm. base and they're both playing bad cop to each other's bases, but everyone's being lied to and scammed. I didn't realize that at the time, but I definitely, uh, you know, I got that, you know, the, I was like, I used to say the Democrats are crazy and the Republicans are stupid. And it was like, you know, so whether you think of it that way or whatever, and like you said, even if you think they're a lesser evil, I get that. But like, are we going to pretend that they're not sucking a lot? Like, it's okay <laughs> to acknowledge that this sucks. Right. Like, if you lose... If uh, if if the Republicans lose Georgia, that's the Republicans' fault, guys. Like that's that is a, a perfect example. Uh, Democrats put up uh, Stacey Abrams, who whatever you want to think of her, she's the best organizer that Georgia's ever had for the Democratic Party. She's about to get whomped by Brian Kemp in a in a in a rematch. The Republicans should win that state. That is a a fairly red state. There's no reason it's even close. If if Walker walks away with this thing, which I, yeah, uh, if he if he does. If Walker walks away with this thing, it's going to be by the skin of their teeth and despite them screwing up. So, you know, stop sucking. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, Reed and I were both kind of uh, brainstorming. I think we're going to commit voter fraud for uh, Fetterman just to see, <laughs> just to see him. <laughs> we're we're going to try to see him do uh, the filibuster. I would love to see him filibuster. Wow. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> it would. I mean, he could do it indefinitely, right? Like, yeah. usually... When you, I mean, God bless the guy. He's got, I, I want to say this, like the man's obviously he's recovering from a stroke and I actually, I feel like he's being put up for this 
by other people. This yeah. this happened before the primary happened, and they like kind of pushed him through, and they weren't telling anyone, and he wasn't talking to anyone. Like this isn't right. I actually kind of feel bad for him because I think he's trying his best and is trying to fulfill what other people are putting on him. And I, but I mean, he's like, he shouldn't be there. Like the, the guy should be like getting rest and doing occupational therapy and, and, you know, working on cognitive training and stuff like that. He shouldn't be in front of a camera trying to debate, you know, a, a former TV personality, like give me a break. Um, and you know, so, but with all that said, if he does get elected, in theory, he could indefinitely filibuster because yeah. typically when you filibuster, you go up there with the idea that you at least have to string together sentences that make sense. Like right. there has to be some congruity to what congruence mm-hmm. to what you're saying. He's not burdened by that. He's yeah. not like he can literally it's like a Joe Biden thing. He can literally mm-hmm. just get up there and just start saying noises from his mouth. Not even necessarily words. I mean, he can make words if he wants, but he doesn't have to. And he's free from that. And his base of support will call us ableist if we say anything about it. So, like, <laughs> he can literally just get up there and just riff. And I'll I'll watch it a lot for way longer than I should. I'll yeah. tell you that. Like, I, man, Fetterman. Like, if if I had to, if you know, and again, I endorse libertarians. I you will you can count on one hand the number of times I'll endorse a Republican and ask me for a very 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 good reason. The, these are not good reasons. The reason that if so, if if Chase is not going to win that race, or if, if you know if he doesn't gets knocked out, assuming he gets knocked out, and there's the a a um um runoff. a uh, a runoff, um I I do like if I had to make two picks, it would be please Herschel Walker and and Fetterman, and and I mean there is an entertainment aspect, but honestly the biggest reason is because. I want someone to look me, if Donald Trump getting elected to the White House wasn't enough to make you be- realize that maybe our system isn't what you think it is, uh, then hopefully this would be. And and I, I just, anytime like our sacred democracy, I'll be like, Fetterman and Herschel, I don't even care which side of the aisle you're on. It doesn't matter if you're a progressive or Republican, a centrist. You know, hopefully you're one of those centrists that you are horrified by both of them. And then I can say, hey, these two won uh, after many rounds of deciding who the best person in that state is. That's who they came up with. What what do you got for me there? So that's my. Yeah. um, So you've been traveling all over the country as well. Um, What's your kind of shake since the big shakeup of the Libertarian Party earlier this year? what do you think it was for the better do you think it was for the worse or do you feel like you still got to kind of see how things go i would say see how things go i'll tell you this Mm -hmm. the momentum for the takeover which is what it was it was the the mises caucus took over and and uh taking a step back uh i am not an uninterested party i've been in the mises caucus since i think the day after it was founded um and uh i i i want what's best for the libertarian party and if that's the mises caucus then i'm i'm all for it 100 percent um so with that just kind of putting my you know uh uh you know bias adjusting out there um the mises caucus takeover was a result of a large number of libertarians who were sick of the status quo especially uh in light of what i felt like and said as often as i could was a lack of of urgency or at least a seeming lack of urgency among the uh, the Libertarian Party na- at the national level and, and at many state levels and the Jorgensen campaign to understand that the threat posed by the COVID regime swamped and dwarfed everything else and that we needed to come out as 
exposing that more than the Republicans ever could, who were every bit as into it as the Democrats, and that we needed to be the anti-lockdown. We're already against the next mandate. We're already against the next lockdown. We That needed to be our main focus. And then when the uh, the George Floyd killing and the uh, the push for ending qualified immunity and then the riots and the in, the refusal of, of many police departments to do anything to stop it and, and instead attacking people who were defending themselves against rioters and looters, what an opportunity for a party to come out and say, you're fighting against police brutality, you're fighting against police inaction, you have the same enemy. Mm-hmm. And the Democrats will pick this side and the Republicans will pick this side and they're playing you against each other. We have to stop government monopolization of law enforcement and protection and we need to hold bad actors accountable in government. What a perfect opportunity to bring together that. But, you know, we uh, uh, very often that the, the momentum or the urgency, the sense of urgency wasn't there. And I felt it as someone that was at the, the you know, not the top of the ticket, but in the in the White House ticket. Right. Um, and so, you know, what had been building for a while finally spilled over and, and now they've taken over. Uh, you know, there's, I'm certain that there's some, uh, I will admit, I'm so busy with my nonprofit, You Are the Power, that I, I'm, again, not as much into the day-to-day things. But from what I see from, you know, kind of 30,000 foot view, looks like they've, uh, uh, they've certainly had some growing pains, but they've also, uh, you know, there's a lot more, uh, co- I was at an LNC meeting, I think their first meeting after Reno, uh, back in July, there was way more cohesiveness than I'd seen in the past. Uh, I think uh, it's too early to declare it a victory or a failure. I think we need to give it a little bit of time to see uh, what happens. And I, I hope that they succeed even more than they said they would. Like for the sake of the party and the movement, I want the Libertarian Party, uh, which at this point the Mises leadership is the Libertarian Party, um, I w- or at least their leadership, I want them to succeed in ways that we never even imagined they could. That's my, that's my hope for them. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. Um, I, I sometimes venture down the uh, everything's going to shit and nothing's going to happen <laughs> kind of hole. I, I just can't help it. But um, at the same time, I am hopeful because I do feel like we have great, competent people and amazing people such as yourself that are stepping up to do the work that the uh, <laughs> that the Libertarian Party and different Libertarians all around the country need. So um, how is your uh, company Where the Power going? And um, – you know, what kind of fruit has that born, if that's the right word? <laughs> so You Are the Power is doing fantastic. And and to give a little perspective for those who don't know what it is or don't know all the details, um, I saw an issue where we have a, a record and growing number of Americans who recognize there's a problem with the status quo, mm-hmm. but they don't know what the alternative is. We are, we don't really have, the, the liberty movement is torn on all these different false binary choices of you know should we be relatable and milk toast or should we be bold and in your face and unrelatable should we uh focus on you know electoral races and and you know uh, reject the you know the the culture building we need to do should we completely throw away the the electoral stuff and just do culture building and and what i saw was that in the meantime there are people who need us right now who are being harmed right now and they're in positions in like at the local level they're being harmed at the local level at the county level even at the state level and we have the wherewithal to help them now if we focus on helping them now and what a perfect opportunity to use us helping them right now to start conversations in those communities about how that even happened in the first place and how uh, statism caused that to happen and how liberty is the solution to to make that never happen again and so with that i started you are the power and that's 
that's exactly what we do. We actively look for, uh, uh, well, let me take a step. We are in all 50 states. We have about 2,000 members who are on the ground activists. We have organizers and, and, and activist leaders. We, they, we are identifying uh, examples of people who are being harmed, abused, neglected, run roughshod over by their local governments. We are connecting with them and connecting with other coalition groups in those areas who share a common cause with us uh, on that issue. Everything from, you know, uh, single issue political groups to church groups, soccer mom groups, whoever agrees with us on that one thing. We organize together. We do a lot of online swarming. That's the, the cyber bullying you see me doing to the government online. That's the beginning step <laughs> of it. And that helps raise awareness and drive people to it. It gets local media attention. I get a lot of interviews from local media from that stuff. And it drives attention to that. And if that's not, well, we encourage people to flood uh, the local officials' phone lines and, and email addresses and you know blow them up on social media and just make them feel really uncomfortable on the internet and on their phone. And then if that doesn't work, uh, we use that attention to push for events, uh, family-friendly events, uh, rallies that happen right before that government's next meeting. And then we encourage all these people that showed up for our rally to join us in the meeting where we give them a dressing down and talk to them. And What's up, everybody? Um, we're going to take a quick break and tell you about the show's sponsors. Um, we are brought to you by Element T Electrolytes. I've been using this stuff for years, and what I've honestly found is that if I didn't have electrolytes before some kind of cardio, and sometimes even before workouts, that my workout performance, or definitely cardio performance, would suffer greatly. Um, Sodium is responsible for every single movement pretty much in your entire body. and let's say you drink a lot of caffeine like I like to do, then um, maybe it is a good idea, like I do every single morning, um, put some LMNT chocolate electrolytes um, there in your coffee to get a little bit more sodium, potassium, and uh, magnesium in your coffee so that way whatever diuretic effect you get from the caffeine is pretty much diluted by the fact that you put chocolate salt in it. Um, also it tastes really really good. Get some uh, chocolate creamer, hazelnut creamer, or even coconut and uh, mix that all up. It tastes really really good. So uh, yeah, make sure you drop by, go to drinklmnt.com slash inliberty and health and uh, pick you up some electrolytes today. Alright guys, thanks. And uh, if th that usually does the trick, if it doesn't do the trick, two things. Number one, we have created a base of support and a winning platform for local activists and candidates to run to unseat those people and do the right thing themselves. And number two, and in the long term, more importantly, we have started a conversation by building a network effect. We have started a conversation with people about how this even happened in the first place and how liberty can stop it from happening ever again and fix so many other problems that they're facing as well. We are taking people who know something has to change, don't know how it's going to change, and don't know how to do that change even if they did. We are getting them excited. We are getting them organized. We are finding common cause with them. We are helping them to win, and we're exposing them to libertarian ideas to take them from normies to you know excited liberty activists in their community. And that's what You Were the Power does. Nice. Beautiful. Well, the other thing that uh, it seems like you're kind of building there is also relationship capital with people. And I talk about this all the time because yes. in order for us to influence people, they have to buy into us as people. And this kind of goes back to why I really push the health stuff so much is because um, in order for us to be the best beings that we are, we should be as physically active and physically fit 
as possible and also mentally the same way because only then are we going to be people worthy of influence to get people to listen to us and then you know buy into our ideas and then you know hopefully get us elected and get libertarian yeah. laws enacted absolutely 100 percent, man i when i was I'm going to tell a little bit of a story. I know that's going to shock you. Um, in 2016, after years of something being very wrong with my body and mm -hmm. and and being told about two years prior, prior that it was about 50-50 that I had MS, I was finally told, and at that point it was like they were putting me out of my misery. I was just happy to know they yeah. told me I, I did have MS. That wasn't the shocker because, like I said, I'd known that that was probable. The shocker was when I sat down and said, okay, good. Now we're going to talk about my treatment options. And they said, yeah, there are a lot of really great treatment options. We could even slow this thing down to the point where the progression of your MS won't be any different than just the usual aging process. <laughs> now that was supposed to make me feel better. Here's right. what I heard. All of what you've been worried about your your ms and whether you're going to get your normal life that you want back that you're so attached to back whether you're going to be able to get this solved whether you're going to figure out how to get none of that actually matters you're eventually going to die and if you don't live a healthy life it's going to happen sooner even if you didn't have ms right. and your your cognitive and and uh, uh physical abilities are going to decline even faster you're going to end up fat sick dead sooner than you would and and up and unhappy the whole time if you don't take this seriously and the blessing and it has taken me a long time to call this a blessing but the like literally in the last year or two the blessing of and the grace of being of getting ms being told i have ms and then being told that stuff is that it forced me to do something i wouldn't have otherwise done which was take my physical and emotional health and my desire for a fulfilling uh and and purposeful life seriously instead of putting it off to the 12th of never and what i can tell you now is that as a result of that i am not only uh in the best physical shape of my life but frankly there is no difference between physical and mental your brain is part of your body i'm in the best mental well-being of my life i am living the most fulfilling life that i, I scores beyond what i would have imagined even before i started feeling funny 10 years ago i i would have never imagined feel, having this much fulfillment i am the happiest in my marriage and in my personal relationships i've always been and that all boils down to being physically fit trying to stay in good shape, working out, eating well, supplementing well, you know, I'm all into the nootropic stuff and all that stuff, but mm -hmm. supplementing well, um, uh, getting out, meeting people, talking with people, forming connections with people, uh, d uh, d first discovering, and then uh, being uh, insistent on living in the purpose that you've discovered for yourself. And probably if I had to pick the single biggest thing outside of working out and eating well is insisting on being actively grateful for where I am in my life on, on a day-by-day -day basis. And those things are what allow me not just to, you know, in my body and in my mind and in my life, be as happy and as fulfilled as I am. But as you said, that spills out into how you're yes. treating everyone else. Because if you are, if this is how you feel about yourself, and about your life, then by a natural extension, it's how you feel about others. You cannot fake that. 
the the biggest pander in the world can't truly fake that right. as well as you can really do it if you mean it and it just it, it it exudes out to others and it becomes addictive like everything that you'll ever read about uh how to be a good leader how to be a good salesperson how to be a good lover and any of these things boil down to people need to be excited about being around you and you can only fake that so long so i strongly strongly encourage people to take their physical and mental health uh seriously and to take their their purpose of their life seriously and to for god's sake learn to be grateful and and it's it's harder on some days than others i certainly can tell you that right but make a point of being actively grateful in all days nice yeah wow that's absolutely beautifully laid out um so i only got you for a few more minutes because i know you got a little bit of a time limit i got a couple more questions for you and then we'll get rock and rolling out of yeah, here. yeah 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 go ahead how do you keep your marriage as happy and successful as possible? Because we were talking off air and I will be married. Um, I'm going to air this on <laughs> Tuesday and it's Thursday right now. So literally less than a week, I'll be married. Yeah. So how how do you do it? <laughs> well, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, the biggest thing I do was I would never record a podcast right before getting married. No, I, that's, that's <laughs> no, it's uh, that was the, the biggest thing that I thank God I never did that. No, no, it's not. Um, so I would say it's funny because I, I put up a post a couple of days ago where I talked about the fact that, and I get asked this a lot. I had a follower say to me, um, uh, you know, how is it that you have such a perfect marriage like you have with Tasha? What's your secret? And I'm like, what makes you think I have a perfect marriage? And they were like, well, cause you say how great your wife is all the time. And you talk about how happy you are with your marriage and how, you know, how, how amazing your life is because of her. And I never hear you complain about any arguments that you have, or, you know, any kind of like tiffs or, you know, I never hear you like act, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, complain about your marriage or act cynical about marriage or make little snippy comments about being married and what that means and blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, well, okay, that's my secret. Um, and so one thing I will say is, especially to the, you know, I'm an elder millennial, I'm that last group of people that actually had a non-online childhood, like there was no internet until I was like 12, uh, or at least in my house there wasn't. So I actually experienced like normal life for the first 150,000 years of human life. And uh, uh, so for those who have grown up, who, you know, where they've always been online, everything is posted, everything is in the whole world can see it, you know, you're sitting there standing, sitting there, you know, eyes to camera, telling every stranger on earth your feelings like they were your best friend or your therapist um i will tell you that there are certainly many things where telling the world can maybe be helpful your relationship is not that do not yes. tell all of your if you if the problems are enough where you need to complain a lot go find a marriage counselor or a therapist or something like that or, or a relationship counselor or whatever your past or some don't go to the world and share every single thing unless you want to end the relationship that's a great way to do that um <laughs> I joke that the true secret to my marriage is anytime I, you know, get upset or want to argue, I remember that my wife looks the way she does while I look, unfortunately, the way I do. Um, but that's that's not that's not actually the. I mean, that certainly helps. But um, the real uh, the real thing is that going back to active gratitude, there are times. I mean, and I'm not I'm not telling anything specific. No one has a perfect marriage. Everyone has times of disagreement. Everyone has times of being upset. Everyone has times of, of you accidentally hurting your partner and didn't even mean to. And then, well, why are they upset? I didn't even mean to do that. Or vice versa, where you're hurt and they're sitting there going, what's wrong with this schmuck? Why I didn't even do anything. Mm -hmm. Like that happens, right? But if you're in gratitude, anytime that I start to do that, 
at some point, it might, it might not be an instant, but at some point I remember I am married to my fantasy who also is one of the most kind, most brilliant, most loving, most gracious, most empathetic uh, people that I know, someone who has is a tremendous help to me, someone who I could not imagine being without. And that's that's it for me. And I'll, I'll tell you another part to that. If you look at your significant other and say, that's not how I feel. I don't feel that way about my my you know my partner. I, I'm not happy about it. I truly am not. Not just in this moment I'm upset, but like I truly am not. That's something you got to look at. Like you, you need to be with someone that you actually want to be with. I'm not judging anyone's relationships, but if you don't feel that way, at least to some extent, that's something you need to consider, but not in anger, not in a moment of anger, none of that. Do this in a, in a sober and, and obje as objective as possible a way. Don't make these decisions in anger. So that's, that's a few things I say. And, and, you know, the, the old, you know, stereotype, the, the old, uh, what is it? The, the cliche, it's not 50, 50, it's a hundred, it's a hundred. You're, you're not, it's not a point system. You are in this for them or with them they're in it for and with you and you don't question that you just keep giving and uh it's worked for us it, i'm it's I'm, like i said no marriage is perfect no anything is perfect but i i'm grateful i'm extremely grateful nice well i'll definitely have to um kind of note some of that down i do actively <laughs> <laughs> i do actively <laughs> thank um you know my lucky stars god whatever that um yes. i was blessed with um somebody like my fiance and That's that awesome. i i've been able to live the life that i've lived for the last couple of years um and I, I like i said i think about it every day and i'm i'm thankful that we're able to prosper together and um i, I couldn't imagine awesome. doing it with anybody else so That's um awesome. the last couple of questions i ask every single guest um what does liberty look like to you Liberty looks like a culture of people recognizing that you cannot put too much power in the hands of too few people and that we do best when we trust and respect each other as individual human beings and respect their dignity and their autonomy and their ability to make decisions for themselves and we choose to work together voluntarily. Um, that is liberty to me as, as like a, on a societal level, that's what liberty is to me. Nice. Yeah, that's uh, probably the perfect libertarian answer. I i don't think I've heard anybody put it that way. I say this almost every single time, but I, I always ask people this just because it, <laughs> people say I mean it. <laughs> um, what does health look like to you? What is what? What does health look like to you? What does health look like to me? Mm -hmm. Health looks like uh, taking your kind of what we were just talking about, taking your uh, your physical health, your mental well-being, your mental health, your life health. Like that's something we don't talk. We, we talk about we, we do this weird separation between your body and your mind and then your life is just sort of this other thing. No. Your, your purpose, purpose is to be, like this is like a metaphysical thing, your purpose is to be and to exist. Whatever greater reason there, there is, we can fill that in for yourself. But your purpose is to be and to exist. If that's the case, then your body, your mind, where you feel in your life and in your relationships, all of that is intertwined. So health is the state of achieving as optimal a level of all of those things as possible and doing so consciously and with a, with a mind towards it, not just haphazardly. Nice. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I like that answer a lot as well. Um, Spike, where can everybody find you? That's an easy one. Uh, I'm everywhere. Um, 
possibly even in your city. Uh, so I, uh, so uh, if you want to be a part of You Are the Power uh, or find out more about it, we would love to have you. We are uh, a grassroots network of liberty-loving people who are working across the entire political spectrum in uh, every community in this country uh, and bringing people into the culture of liberty one cause at a time by meeting people where they are. If you want to be a part of that, uh, go to youarethepower.net. Membership is free. We'd love to have you be a part of it. If you are also, if you got money that you want to put into an organization that absolutely needs money to be able to do all these causes that we are doing, uh, we, there are certainly plenty of donate buttons there. And uh, your, your, your money is as welcome as you are, uh, friend. But uh, so if you want to be a part of that, youarethepower.net. We, we are also on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, you are the power on Facebook at YATP official on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, if you want to follow me, I am Spike Cohen. I'm on everything. I'm even on TikTok for the kids. I'm on all the stuff. And uh, uh, my website is spikecohen.com. And uh, as I say, if you if you ever lose me somehow, uh, the North Star, everyone's North Star or tree to hug is uh, just go to the ATF's Facebook page <laughs> and look for their next post. And 50-50 shot, I'll be there already. And if not, then I'll probably be there. Uh, just tag me and I'll likely be there very soon. And, uh, and you'll, you'll, be able to, you'll be able to find me. And Kyle, thanks for having me on again. And congratulations, man. How, what, an awesome, what an awesome thing that you're going to be getting married soon. Congratulations. And my condolences on the next few days of like <laughs> that pre-wedding, like, oh no, and then you, and getting that. But it, that will all work itself out. <laughs> you're going to have a, it's, it's all temporary. And tell yourself that because I remember those last few days. This is just me and you. You can, you can decide whether you want to even leave this on the show. Uh, <laughs> Those last few days, actually leave it on because someone else is probably about to get married too. Yeah. Um, those last few days feel like I might die and I'm not sure that that's bad. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's like, and, and it depends on how involved our wedding was very big, had very little time to plan. So it was very intense, but there's some level of that for everyone, the last minute planning, mm -hmm. you know, uh, upset family or whatever nonsense, like things just happen, right? It yeah. just goes weird. Just in all of those moments, this is temporary. I'm marrying the love of my life. This is a, a, a handful of 24-hour periods that will go away forever very soon. We're going to be married, and we're going to spend the rest of our lives together. If you focus on that, then you'll be good. Nice. I couldn't think of a better way to end it. All right, Spike, thanks for coming on, dude, and uh, we'll definitely do Thank it you. again. Um, and everybody listening, make sure you like, subscribe, and share. I should always put that at the beginning of the show, but for some reason, I always put it at the end. And until next time, everybody, take care. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.